Well, good morning. I'm Alan McBrayer, the executive pastor here at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, and I uh, have the privilege of being up here this morning instead of Kevin Barra, who is our lead pastor here at the campus. Uh, he got a well-deserved vacation this week uh, down at the Galveston Beach. Uh, I love that myself. We're like five years in here uh, in this area, so we still love that beach. And uh, they're down there celebrating with their kids uh, a good week off, kind of in the middle of a little move. They're moving from one place to another, too, in the, at the same time. And so uh, I'm sure they can use the, the rest and the celebration. And uh, I'm also excited that this is Father's Day. Typically, uh, whenever I've had a Father's Day message that I would bring or deliver. I got to pick the topic, but uh, today we're starting a new series this summer, and uh, it's called Kings and Prophets. And so it kind of goes along with the idea of Father's Day, because actually uh, all of fathers, in a sense, are kings, right? Uh, maybe not all recognized that way, but in a sense, they they have leadership in their home, and uh, we... Uh, want all of us to be good fathers that are here. And so thinking about this whole message today, it's, it's kind of appropriate. It wasn't picked for that reason, but I uh, just want to say to you, like Eric said before, if you're a dad, uh, we want to honor you today. And all of us as dads or grandfathers want to be really good dads, or like he said, the ultimate dad, if we're a grandfather, right? Uh, we want to be that. And, uh, but I want to say also to you who are here that aren't dads or you who are here or mothers, uh, this message is for you too. So these special days are for special uh, categories, but they're for everybody because it comes from the Word of God. And so this series, uh, I'm excited about it, Kings and Prophets. It's the Old Testament. Sometimes Old Testament sounds like it's kind of not relevant to us. I mean, after all, the Old Testament happened so long ago, and uh, especially if you think about the period of the kings and the prophets, it was actually about 3,000 years ago when that started. So how could that have anything to say to us? Uh, maybe for older people, but what about younger people? You know, would it say anything to us? Well, yes, it's God's Word, and there are highly relevant things in the Old Testament Nothing could be further from the truth than it's outdated and archaic like so many people think today about the Bible. The reality is, is no matter what part of the Bible is, it's the living Word of God. And so God is speaking to us. I read a recent interview with Jacob Bland, or Jason Bland, sorry, uh, who is the new president and CEO of Youth for Christ, which was an organization that started in 1944. Uh, it was started to reach young people for Christ, obviously, and Billy Graham was the first full-time staff member of it. Today, they've got about 160 chapters in the United States, and they're over, in over 100 nations in the world, so it's a very prolific organization for the kingdom. But when they interviewed Jason Bland about what is your strategy that you have going forward, he simply said it like this, you know, the way we see it there are three stories that are overlapping. God's story, my story, and their story. And that's the way it is for all of us. With the kings in Israel and the prophets, there was God's story, there was the stories of the kings and the prophets, and then for us today, there is our story. And so 
we want to realize that today, no matter what part of Scripture it comes from, that this story is still a story about people that God has interacted with. And all of our stories, in a sense, are woven into God's story. Now, I've entitled this message, Reacting or Responding. And it may be a personal issue that I have, because I tend to react a lot, okay? We won't get into specific examples right now, but it's easy when we face trouble as human beings to react to the situation, maybe impulsively, rather than actually responding with faith in God, or at least with a little bit of thoughtfulness. And this is what we're going to think about today, because the kings and the prophets of that day, um, they were people, and kings are people, like dads are people, and every one of us are people, and so there were good things and there were bad things. And they did react wrongly to situations that came up in their lives. The kings needed prophets to speak truth to them from God so that they could maybe see a different way of understanding the problem. You know, we all face problems. We all face trouble in our lives. We all have tough decisions that we make. And what we need to do is we need to understand how to respond to those decisions with God's solution rather than reacting in the flesh. And this is really the truth that I want us to focus on today, is that when we react to trouble in the flesh, rather than responding to it with faith in God, we always settle for less than God's best. Whenever we react in the flesh instead of in faith in God, we always settle for less than God's best in our life. Now, when we see that on a day like Father's Day, we really realize that because as Eric referenced, we haven't all had good fathers. Uh, They're good bad points about them, but we've all had impact from our fathers. And so we need to understand how to react, but also, I mean, how to respond and not react, but also we need to understand how to pass that truth on to those who are around us. As we begin this series, we're in a transition time in the Old Testament. We've had eight books in the Bible from Genesis all the way through the book of, of Ruth. We've come out of a period known as the period of the judges, which was about a 350 to 400 year period after the time of Joshua when the tribes of Israel settled into the promised land and then they were ruled by judges for about that period of time. They've been having judge after judge after judge after judge, and some of those names are pretty famous. Gideon, uh, you may remember. Uh, Samson, various judges, some not so familiar like Jephthah and different ones like that, but they were ruled by judges. In this period of time, these judges really only ruled over certain regions, and they were really raised up as the need would arise. Because here was the cycle that Israel went into. God had taken them out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and then into the Promised Land. They had settled into the promised land. They had gotten this land that was like pre-made. They walked into this home that was, you know, like if you could ever go into a home that was already staged and you just had everything already left there for you. Some of you may have done that. They walked in this whole land that was like that. They had cities built for them. They already had crops that were growing. They had everything that they could possibly want. And that went well for about 40 years. And then 
at about year 40, they began to have the judges that would rule over them. And these judges, as they would rule over them after Joshua had died, what would happen is that the people, instead of continuing to follow God, what they would do is they would begin to adopt the false prophets of the nations around them. And as they adopted these false prophets, then God would bring an enemy against them, an oppressor against them. They would have some trouble, and then they would cry out to God, and God would raise up a judge for them. This judge would lead them and tell them to come back to God, and then they would repent, and then the judge would lead them into battle, and they would win the battle, and then they'd have 40 years of rest again. That's pretty much what would happen every time. This was a cycle that went on for 350 to 400 years. And I want you to get this. Every time they cried out to God, God responded. Now, sometimes God, you know, poked a little bit to get them to respond thoughtfully. But every time they cried out to God, God responded. This is what happened. And so when we get to this point in the history of Israel, this has happened so many times, it's like a way of life for them. Then they come to uh, Samuel, who was the last judge. He was kind of like a national judge. He was a circuit-riding kind of a judge. And they came to Samuel, and they said something that was very unpleasant to him, and as we will see to God. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. In 1 Samuel 8, and we're going to start at the first verse. In 1 Samuel 8, 1, it says this, that when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. And what we see happen here is that these, these elders of Israel, they did something that was the wrong approach. They decided what they wanted, which was a king, before they consulted God. What I want us to see today is that the way that we don't react in the flesh, but we respond to God in faith, the way that we do that is by consulting God first. First thing I want us to think about today is that we should decide after consulting God, not before we consult God. Now, that's not really the way that we work. That's not the way that these elders did it. What they did, apparently, these elders of Israel, they got together, they were kind of the unofficial leaders, they got together and they decided hey, we don't like this judge system anymore. We want a king. And so they go to God and they say, well, they go to Samuel, which is essentially going to God, and they say, we want a king. They had their mind made up first. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can relate to it, okay? So often in our lives, we decide what we want, and then we go to God and we ask for God's blessing on it. Sometimes we just say we want it. We don't even ask for his blessing. We just say, this is what we want. That's what they did. Now, on the surface, this didn't really seem like all that bad of a thing. To have a king like all the other nations around them had, 
that didn't seem like all that bad a thing, and we'll think more about that. But it's that idea that you react before you respond. When I was in elementary school, which has been quite a few years ago, when I was in elementary school, I remember, I made, you know, like most kids do in elementary school, I made pretty good grades. But I always had a B in citizenship. Now you think, well, how could you have a B in citizenship? Trust me, you don't know me if you're thinking that way, okay? But how could you have that? Well, here's what it was always checked. And you may remember this if it's still around or if you're old enough to remember this, but there was a box on our citizenship card that said, thinks before acting. And it was like every six weeks, that box was checked and I made a B in citizenship because I always acted impulsively. That's what I did. It's like, well, this is what kids do. Well, unfortunately, you don't grow out of it when you become an adult. We still act impulsively if we're not thinking through things, right? And so this is exactly what these guys did. I always reacted impulsively without thinking of the consequences, and that's what they did. Uh, this week, Dylan McPeak, our new youth intern, he, I saw this meme on his computer, and I said, hey, send that to me. Uh, I, I want to think about that. And, and I just want to share it with you. Here's what it said. It said, I feel like my greatest accomplishment today is not saying what I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> Amen? Now, I've got a few minutes up here to say what I'm thinking, okay? But fortunately, I wrote it down, okay? So maybe, uh, as I said, I may not go off the rails or anything. I hope I don't. Um, but, but, but the reality is, not saying what you're thinking is a good thing so you can think through it, right? And then make a solid decision. Decide after consulting God, not before. Now, there were some logical things going on here, okay? I mean, after all, when you fast forward to chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, you find out that the Ammonites, their enemies, were pressing in on them, and they were attacking them. And so they were thinking about it, and they said, we don't want another judge to lead us into battle. I mean, after all, they're judges, right? They're not warriors, they're judges. And Samuel was getting old by that time, and they didn't, uh, you know, really want him to do that anymore. So their, their, their reasons were fairly logical. Here's what I want us to think about. Logical reasons aren't necessarily the right reason. Now, logical reasons aren't necessarily the wrong reason either, okay? But they're not necessarily the right reason. Think about some of their reasons. First of all, they knew, as we read, that Samuel's sons were dishonest. They were undependable. I mean, if you're going to follow someone into battle, you want someone that's got integrity at least, right? And so they didn't really want to follow them. That made sense. Also, judges came and went. There were so many over that period of 350 to 400 years, they just came and went. And, you know, it's kind of like somebody who's leading you, it's like the business gets a new owner or whatever, it, you know, coming and going, coming and going. You can't depend on that anymore. And so you have, feel like you have no control over that whatsoever. But here was maybe the biggest logical reason that they had. And that is that the other nations had one. They had a king. And so if all the other nations on the planet have a king and Israel is the only one that doesn't have a king, then obviously the way to do this thing is to have a king. Sounds logical, right? It's like if everyone else, we know this, it's so trite. 
If everyone else is doing it, then it must be right. Wrong. The truth is, everyone else was doing it wrong, and God was doing it right. Because think about this. The judge would rise up when the enemy was oppressing them. The judge would rise up and would lead them into battle, and they would win the battle. Every single time, the judge would lead them into battle because God was empowering the judge to lead them into battle, and they would defeat the enemies who had a king. So having a king is not what was making the enemies win their battles because they were losing their battles to God through the judge. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? So it looked logical on the surface. Hey, everybody else has got one. This must be the way to do it. The way to do this is fill in the blank because everyone else is doing it. It didn't work. Because when God was in it, you know, as they, the old saying goes, God in one is a majority. So when God was in it, they won. But if we see the grass on the other side of the hill, it looks greener than the grass where we're standing. Here's the truth. It's the same grass. It's just a different hill. Okay, so you can go to the grass on the other side of the hill. It's going to still be the same grass. It's not going to be any different. The truth is they wanted what they wanted, and so they made a demand for a king, even though it wasn't the right reason. I remember when I was in my 20s, I had just gotten my first full-time job. I had laid out of school for a year, and I was working for my dad, and I actually had a paycheck every week. It wasn't like an hourly paycheck. It was like, hey, I can actually get my own apartment, you know, and I can, turns out, I can buy my own car. Well, so I'd always wanted a, a new car, you know, I mean, all of four years. I'd always wanted a new car, right? And I always had my eye on, man, if I ever had the money to have a new car, I'm going to have a charger. So I think chargers at that time were really cool because it was a new brand or new model. Today, they've been around for a long time. They're still pretty cool. But, uh, you know, at that time, it was like, man, if I could just have a charger. So I started making money, and in my mind, I figured it out. I can buy a new charger. Man, it's a really pretty blue color, and uh, it was an SE, which is special edition. It was such an awesome car. I love that car. I really did. It was so much fun Um, for about a year. Then after about a year, I got to thinking, my mom and me took over, okay? She was really thrifty. She's the Scottish side of my personality. She said, I said to myself, I, I, this is way too much money for me to be spending. So I sold that car. I didn't sell it. I traded it in. I traded in that car, and I got me a Datsun 510 sedan. Now, if you don't know what a Datsun is, it's what Nissan is today, okay? And I affectionately describe it as a box on wheels, because that's what it was. It's like one of those little toy cars that you get when you're a little bitty kid, you know, and it's just a little box, but it's a car, okay? That's kind of what it was like, but it had great gas mileage. So I justified and rationalized this is a good move for about a year. And then in about a year, I decided, you know, I'm getting a little bit older now. I was like 23 or 24. I need something that's safe. That was starting to be a big deal back then. Uh, And I got me a Volvo 240. You know, for a young guy, that's kind of a weird car. Uh, In in fact, it was a bright yellow car because that made it really safe. I believed everything Consumer Reports said, you know. And so I drove that car for about another year. And then I decided this car's not running right, so I traded it in, and I got another Volvo 240. It was dark blue. I liked that one a lot better, okay? Here's the crazy thing, okay? And, And I know maybe some of you have had similar stories. 
the crazy thing is I remember justifying and rationalizing every single purchase. Every one of them made sense to me. Well, yeah, I'm making progress here. This is a better idea. When I computed how much money I'd lost on down payments because depreciation when you drive it off the lot kind of a thing, I lost thousands of dollars in down payments. Unfortunately, I still think about that sometimes. It's like, wait, that's in the past. Don't worry about that. But I still think, how stupid can you be? But that's what we do. We want something, and we rationalize and justify to get what we want. At least I do. Well, so those are all logical reasons, right? They had their reasons. But I think there was a root reason, a hidden reason, that was even deeper than that of why they wanted a king. Yes, they wanted to be like the other nations. But the real reason, as you look at 1 Samuel 12, 8 through 12, is that Nahash, who was their king, and the Ammonites were lining up for battle And even though God had used Moses and Joshua and all of the judges to win those battles for them, this time they couldn't stand the insecurity of not seeing their king anymore. They needed to see a human king who would lead them into the battle that they could rely on, who would take the lead and make them do what they knew they needed to do They needed someone like that to, in a sense, kind of bully them into it. They needed this sense of security that comes from that human leader. It's the same kind of a thing that happened, uh, I think, in Jesus' day. When the Jews of his day began to follow him, and they wanted to make him king because they wanted Jesus to be that military leader that would beat the Romans and would lead them back to their promised land, so to speak, where they were the top of the world again. Jesus, though, saw through their plan, and he had his own plan given to him by the Father to save the world through his death. And so he didn't give in to that plan. And in the same way, in this passage that we see today, as these kings begin, we see that God saw through the request of the elders. And although the request was sinful... He handled it in a way that we might not expect, which we'll look at in a few moments. So here's the question for us. This is where the rubber really meets the road. When trouble is facing us, what do we do? Do we react in the flesh with our own solution, or do we respond to God in faith? Our own solution, we can rationalize and justify it. It can make sense to us. But do we respond to God in faith? So, don't decide before consulting God. Decide after consulting God. Secondly, discern God's will. I want you to look at this in verses 6 through 9. Read these verses with me. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. This is so interesting to me. Samuel was one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament. Maybe just after Abraham and after Moses... Samuel, Daniel, three or four others, Job, 
these are some of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament. Samuel was a priest before he was a judge. He was also, in this thing we see, in this story we see, that he was a prophet, okay? With all of that going for, for Samuel and his connection with God, what was the first thing that Samuel did? He prayed to God. This thing displeased Samuel, so he prayed to God. He didn't assume he knew what God wanted to do. He didn't just blow him away, which could be the tendency that some of us might have. What Samuel did was he prayed to God so that he could discern God's will. When you're facing a difficult situation, you need to turn to God so you can discern God's will, so you will know how to respond. He heard the elder's request. He was displeased. He took it personally, but he didn't react with his own solution. He took it to God. The first thing we must do, we must make prayer, as it has been said, the first resort, not the last resort. The first thing that we do, not the last thing that we do. So what what did Samuel do? He reached out to God. He wanted to know God's will. He prayed first, then he listened to God. And this is what it says in the New Testament as well. We just got through a study in the book of James. In James 1, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It says in Amos 3, 7, that God does nothing without making his plan known to his prophets. The point is, is if we will ask God, God will reveal his plan to us. If we reach out to him, he will reveal his plan to us. He will show us the direction that we must go. Jesus said that when the Spirit comes to his disciples, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And even though Samuel wanted to react because he had been their leader, God told him something very surprising. He said, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. That's who they're rejecting. In essence, he was saying, resist the urge to take it personally, Samuel. We tend, when people react to us, when we speak truth to them, we tend to take it very personally. I don't want anybody telling me, yeah, I don't agree with that, or, "Mm, okay, I'll think about that, and then they go do their own thing. No, we don't really like that at all. We take it personally. I I can remember so many times uh, as a dad, and again, Eric, you reference this, but I can remember as a dad trying to have those discipleship times with our kids, um, you know, maybe once every couple of years, because I would just give up on it. You know, it's like, okay, I've got two out of three here that are really taking this seriously, but the other one's just making jokes. And so it's like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And so I'd say, okay, I'm just going to live a good life in front of them. I'm going to take them to church, and I'm going to talk to them as the time comes up. And that may be the approach you take. But, but one of the most universal experiences that dads have that are trying to teach their kids well is trying to have that devotional time with their kids on a weekly basis, and it just doesn't work. My problem was... I took it personally. It's like, how in the world could you not listen to me, your dad? I know the truth. I've lived the truth. You need to listen to me. I know what's best for you, kind of a thing. 
And, you know, I would try to make it a good, you know, a good time as a family, you know, where we talk about the Bible and I'd make it relevant and all those things. But, again, basically, it was just kind of awkward, okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but it's kind of like we have such a good time as a, fa- as a family, and then all of a sudden, one hour a week, we would get very serious. And it would be like, oh, no, Dad's doing his thing again, okay? Well, don't give up, Dads. I'm just saying, They need to hear it. Now, they need to hear it when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk in the way, like it says in Deuteronomy 6. But but the truth is, we all have a hard time not taking things like that personally. If you ask me my opinion and I give you my opinion and then you don't follow my opinion, my tendency is to take that personally. Okay? So, this is where Samuel was, but here's what God told him. Look, they aren't rejecting you. They are rejecting me. Remember this, whether it's witnessing to someone else about Jesus and what he's done in your life, whether it's speaking the truth from God's word in a loving way to someone, or even around the water cooler where it may not be as politically correct as it used to be to do that, when they reject it, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting God if it's coming from God's word. And you can't always be silent in those moments. You can't just give up and throw in the towel. They are not rejecting the messenger. They're rejecting the message, as we know. And so we don't control the response, just the delivery. And God will take care of it if we will continue to do that. So we must persevere in presenting the truth. And essentially, that's what he was saying to Samuel. Samuel, don't take it personally. I've still got more for you to say to them. Don't just give up and throw in the towel. Third, though, in this idea of discerning God's will. Once you've discerned it, then if God's got something for you to do with it, you must reveal God's answer to the folks that God has given you this message to give to. They were asking him because he was a prophet, and he wanted Samuel to tell these people exactly the way it was going to be. Now, this is as we go over these two or three months the rest of the summer to talk about kings and prophets, this is what we're going to see about prophets is that prophets are like the check engine light on your car. You know, you can say, yeah, that gas cap, I've had that look, that's a bad check engine light. Or it may actually be the timing belt on your car that needs to be replaced. You know, it could be... But the prophets are like the check engine light. They tell you when something is wrong, okay? And so what you need to do is you need to listen to the prophet. Now, in the Old Testament, they had this as an institution. There were kings who had absolute authority. Just imagine that. They weren't even like presidents of the United States. They were kings. They literally had absolute authority. They didn't have three branches of government. They had one branch of government, and it was them. Okay? They could do what they wanted to do, and who could stop them? And this is what happens in the Old Testament. The prophets step up, and they tell the king... Something is wrong, and they have to do something about it. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba. And what David did was commit adultery and then kill the husband that he committed adultery with his wife. And he had a blind spot about this. He couldn't even see what he had done wrong because he pushed it down below the surface so much. He had covered it up so much. But Nathan was sent by God, the check engine light, to say, there's something wrong here. And to David's credit, by the grace of God, he did repent of his sin 
and God forgave him of that. But today we have the same things. The prophets in the Old Testament, they foretold the truth and they foretold the truth. Now, we today, we can't really foretell the truth all that much, but we can all be prophets who actually tell the truth of God's Word to those around us. It says in 1 Corinthians 14.3 that the one who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and consolation. This is in the church. So, really what we are called to do in the church, we are called to build up one another. Like Moses told Joshua in the Old Testament, would that all of the people in Israel were prophets. Well, in the New Testament, there's a special gift called prophecy, but really the one that we should desire above all of our spiritual gifts is that we would be a prophet so that we could speak truth to one another. And this is what we are to do. We need this, don't we? We need people to tell us when something's wrong with the engine. We need a check engine light in our lives. And so this is what we do in the church, because we need someone to tell us when there's something wrong. We also need people that will not only exhort us and tell us when things are wrong, we need someone who will edify us and build us up. We need someone who will encourage us, and then we need someone who will comfort us. All of that comes from God. It's never my message that does that for you, uh, as I have visited folks in the hospital and different things like that. It's always the Word of God that brings comfort. It's always the Spirit of God that brings encouragement. It's always the Spirit of God that actually provokes someone to change their life and to repent and to act in a different way. This is what we're called to do. And especially when you think about the kings in the Old Testament and them being the absolute authority, they needed this. And we'll see this over and over again. Uh, A quote that I've always loved is from from a guy in the 1800s in England named Lord Acton. And it says this, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But this is the part of the quote that I didn't know. read it this week. Great men are almost always bad men. Oh, that hurts. Great men are almost always bad men. You know why? Because they're men or women or kids. It doesn't matter. We all have a sin nature. And when we get absolute power... We would want to do whatever we want to do with nobody stopping us, right? That's a convicting thought. What God wants us to do with that power is recognize it comes from Him and let Him channel that power through us to bless other people's lives. But very often in the Old Testament, most of the kings, most of the kings were bad kings. There were a few good kings, as we study this in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. There were a few good kings, but most of them were bad kings. I want you to notice what God wanted Samuel to tell these elders. He wanted to make sure that they knew the truth. Look at First uh, Samuel ten through uh, eight, ten through eighteen. He says this: Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said. These are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to his use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants." 
He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourself. But the Lord will answer you on that day. Wow. Who wants that? They wanted that. Because that king gave them that security. Why did God tell them that? Because God's integrity demands that he tell us the whole story. God's integrity demands that he tells us not just, hey, life's going to be wonderful, but that if you follow me, life's going to be blessed. If you don't follow me, you will experience my discipline or even judgment. That's what will happen. Not because God is a control freak, but because God loves us. And God wants to give us everything that he, that he has for us in store. But he can't do that if we're not walking on his path of blessing, but our own solutions. So that's what God wants to give to us. And so what we see here is that God always wants to warn us whenever something is wrong. Back in the late 60s, there was a show, I watched it a few times, called Lost in Space. Some of y'all may be Lost in Space cultists, I don't know. Uh, but uh, on that show, this, this family, the Robinson family, it was a takeoff on Swiss Family Robinson except in outer space. It was projected about 30 years forward from the 1960s. And this family, the Robinson family, was going to repopulate or settle on a planet to help save the earth. You know how those sci-fi shows used to go all the time. And somehow an asteroid or a meter hit them and knocked them off course, and they wound up on this planet, and they were lost in space. Well, on this show, there was a couple of famous lines from the robot. The robot always protected the family. One of those famous lines was, does not compute. Well, you still use that. It's like, I never knew that came from that Robbie the robot, <laughs> whatever his name was. That, that was a different robot. But, uh, but that was, does not compute. But the one that really stands out here is what the robot would always say to the little nine-year-old Will Robinson, if you're familiar with it, would be, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. And so then Will Robinson would know, oh, better not do that. You know, the robot said, danger, Will Robinson. Well, you know, this is what God does through his Old Testament prophets, but it's also what God does through us as God's people who relate to one another. He says, if God shows you something about this person that you're close to, tell them, be the check engine light, be the prophet, speak the truth to them in love. I encourage all of you to be in relationships where you have somebody that will speak the truth to you like that. Because we all need to discern God's will if we're not going to get on the wrong path. Last, and we'll close with this, is we must do what God says. It's really not enough to discover God's will or discern it. You have to do what God says. And so God says this. God's, God's response in this whole situation is, he knows the truth about us, and he's not surprised. In Deuteronomy 17, 14, it says this. This is like maybe a four or 500 years before this. This is what it says. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. 
God was not surprised by their request. The truth, God knew they were going to ask. All God wanted them to do was to let him be the one that set the king over them. Because he knew that they would, they would turn away from him and they would do this. God is always aware of what we're doing. And so God knows our hearts. God knows if we love the world. And it says if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He knows that if we ask for things that are not good for us, that those motives are going to come back to haunt us. But sometimes God's response is he allows us to reject his answer. Sometimes God lets us walk right into the very thing that we shouldn't be doing. Sometimes the ministry we came from in Fort Worth five years ago, sometimes we would minister to alcoholics and the husband and wife would be sitting there and the husband had said, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to quit drinking and he would always go back to drinking. And sometimes we would say to them, to the husband, let me tell you the best approach you need to take is you go get as drunk as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. And then when you're ready for the answer that God has, then come back. Most of the time that would work. Sometimes it didn't. They were going to keep doing what they were going to do. But the reality is, is that once we get into that path of sin and really go down that path, we realize how bad that path is. But we don't we, do, we think we can handle it, you know? We think that we can manage our sin. God's never about us managing our sin. God wants to root that sin out. And that's exactly what God did here. He allowed them to have a king so he could teach them that the wrong king is worse than not having a king. And that's what we'll see in the weeks ahead. That first king, Saul, was just not very good. But that was God's response. What's our response? Our response, the wrong one, is rebellion. Yeah, God, I know what you're saying, but that's not what I want to do, so I'm going to do my own thing. Again, like the prodigal son, who decided to do his own thing, and he wound up in the pig pen, and he finally came to his senses. That's what God wants for us. The, the reality is, is that we give up our freedom when we reject God for any human solution. We give up our freedom when we reject God for any human solution. We lose the very thing that we thought we wanted when we do it our way apart from God. So what's the right response? We've seen, decide after consulting God, discern God's will. But the right response is very simple. Repent and obey. When you realize you're on your own track, say to God, God, that's wrong. I need to be off of this track and I need to return to the well-worn path of your word and your ways. That's what I need to do. Repentance is simply exchanging my thoughts for God's thoughts. It's me changing my mind about something that I know the right way and saying, I believe God, you know the right way. And then it's doing what God says. So today, I don't know what trouble you're facing. I don't know if you have a tough decision that you are trying to make. Maybe one that in your conscience you know, this is kind of a watershed moment. I could go this way, I could go this way, go that way. It may be a path that leads to destruction. If you go this way, it may be a hard path because it's following God, it's the narrow way, but it will be the way, the road that leads to life. 
Let me encourage you with three applications today. First of all, slow down and examine your motives. If you're facing that decision and you know in your heart you're wanting to do something, but you really don't feel that good about it, but you're still wanting to do it. I mean, it could be something simple like, what house am I going to buy or what job am I going to take? But it could be something that's very much more serious than that, about, that could affect your whole way of life. Slow down and examine your motives. Why do I want to do what I'm thinking I want to do? And then ask God to show you His will. Pray. Get into the Word. You may not know where to turn in the Word. Have a trusted friend who knows the Word. Turn to them or come to one of us and we can point you in that direction or even talk with you ourselves. Have a friend that knows the Word that can ask that you can pray with about that. Be willing to share that. You know, one of the real red flags in my life, if I've got a decision I'm wanting to make and I'm not willing to share it with anybody to get their input, sometimes that's a red flag. Have someone that you trust that you can share it with. Don't go to 10 people to get the answer you want. (laughs) Okay, I'm not saying that. Go to one person that you trust to get that answer. Last application, do what God says. Really, it's simple. Do what God says. It's just not easy, right? Because it goes against our flesh. And so today, you may feel like you have to have a king. The truth is, you have to have God's will. That's the place you need to be. So ask God what that is, and then do what He says. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your patience with us. We thank You that You love us so much that sometimes, Lord, You let us have what we ask for, even though it's not the best in the short term. Lord, we know that You always want what's best for us, and so You don't do that to trick us. You don't do that to get us to ask it in just a certain way so that you'll give us what we want. But Lord, you do it because you love us. Lord, I pray that today, that if there are those who are here today that are trying to decide which way do I go, do I go God's way or do I go my own way, that Lord, today, by your Spirit, you would convict them that going your way is the only way that will work. Lord, I pray for those who are here today They don't even know you at all. They've heard about you. They think they know about you, but they haven't really invested their life in you and in your way. They haven't trusted you. But Lord, you would bring them to that point today that they would commit their life to you. We pray that that would happen. Lord, we pray for those who are facing those difficult decisions today that you would give them your wisdom, that they might follow your ways and not their own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.